Several years ago, I received in the mail one of those infamous green cards that for me immediately alerted me to the fact that I was being summonsed for jury duty. You ever get one of those cards? I don't know if you're like me, but when I get one of those cards out of the mail, and I like getting the mail every day. That's like a, a, a ritual. I just like going and getting the mail because I'm always excited about there being something in there that I would enjoy opening. Sometimes I place an order online just to make sure that every once in a while there's something coming in the mail I enjoy opening. And uh, when I go to the mailbox and I find a jury summons card, I can just honestly tell you, maybe this is confessional here, that I don't get that card and go, yes, I got a jury summons card. I don't run in the house and say, Lindley, look what I got in the mail. I just don't respond that way. Maybe you do. Um, I am definitely for serving our civic duty, but it does not stir in me great elation or jubilation. Um, what it actually stirs in me is this thought of, I hope I don't get selected. I hope I'm only there for a few minutes. Anybody else with me on this? Yes. Well, I got one of those cards. I show up in the room with hundreds of other people, four or 500 people, um, and they're doing the jury selection process or whatever, and you're sitting there and they say, if anybody has a reason they need to leave and they're gonna be honest about it, I'm like, man, I can't lie. Uh, and so I'm sitting there going through the process. They, they, they divide us up into groups and I go into a room of about 50 or 75 people. And lawyers begin to ask us questions because we're going through the jury selection process. So I've been whittled down to a group that could be chosen. But even in that room, I'm thinking, all I have to do is tell them that I'm a pastor, that I believe in the Bible, and that I am going to be conservative in everything I say and believe. And I'll probably be dismissed. And so I am very honest. And I just tell them all the things I believe and how I believe in justice. And I'm, you know, I just lay it out there. And I'm thinking, I'm going to get out of this. Well, they start whittling down. And the next thing I know, I'm in the 12 that gets selected for jury duty. They take us immediately into a room, begin to tell us about the case. It's a criminal case. And they begin telling us about all the details of the case, what it means to be on a jury and all the roles of the juror. Uh, the jurors in the jury, and so we have to work through all the details of what it means to be a jury. There has to be somebody who's assigned as foreman of the jury. Nobody's volunteering for that. This is a criminal case. This is not going to be fun. This is going to affect a person's life forever. Well, we select a jury foreman. And the jury foreman goes by the title, I hope endearingly, Preacher Man. So, so here I am serving as the foreman of a criminal trial jury. Well, we go through days of testimony. It's really fascinating. It lasts, uh, it's long too. I mean, so long that occasionally we need to take breaks just to refocus. It lasts multiple days, um, an entire week in fact. And after all of the witnesses presented information, after the, the attorneys made their final arguments, the judge sequestered the jury, and it was early in the day, and said, you're not going to leave until you come back with a decision. 
And so we're in there, and we began to rehash all the witnesses and all the evidence. And we have to work together to figure out, okay, what witnesses, what evidence do we deem as true and factual so that we can make a decision? And we were deliberating and rehashing and reviewing all the details of the case long into the day. In fact, it got dark. It started to get late. We hadn't eaten supper. We were all hungry. And the judge sends me a note. So the judge writes to me, the jury foreman, and says, what can I do to help? How close are we to a decision? And he's, he's thinking, I'm going to have to send these jurors home. We're going to have to do this another day. And so I read this note, and I write him a note back, and I say, an empty stomach makes the mind hard to be clear. Please order us pizza. <laughs> so in about 20 minutes, we got pizza. And uh, we took a break. We ate pizza. We had, we had talks about all other kinds of things. And then it came time. We are done eating. We, we rallied around the facts. And we said, we've got to make a decision. And we came to a decision, unanimous, that the person on trial was, in fact, guilty. And I want to tell you that when we left that room, there was a weight and an emotional reaction to that. That There were members of the jury who were in the parking lot crying. There was a connection that was created between jurors because of the emotional experience of walking through a decision of that magnitude. We knew that when we made that decision about that person on trial, that that decision would affect the rest of his life. And we would all just go home and pick up life where we'd left it and keep going forward. I tell you that story because right now, the greatest trial in all of history is occurring. The greatest life and death trial in all of history is happening right now. Now, this greatest life and death trial that's happening right now is unique. No other trial in all of history has happened like it. Now, you know that in, in trials, the normal process is for the jury to make decisions related to the evidence that affects the person on trial. That's normal. The greatest life and death trial in all of history is unique. And the difference in this trial and all other trials that we've seen, that we've heard about, is that the jury... When the jury makes a life and death decision about the person on trial, the decision of the jury does not affect the person on trial. The decision of the jury actually affects each and every individual juror. I want to tell you about this trial. It's found in 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 through 12. 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 through 12. This is the one who came by water and blood. 
Jesus Christ. Not by water alone, but by water and the blood. And the Spirit is the witness. Because the Spirit is truth. Because three are witnesses. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony or the witness of God is greater. Because this is the witness of God that He has witnessed concerning His Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. The one who does not believe God makes, has made him a liar because he has not believed in the witness which God has testified concerning his Son. And this is the witness that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. The one who has the Son has life, and the one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Jesus Christ is the person on trial. God is the primary witness. Is Jesus Christ who he claims to be? God has declared a witness in history as to the person of Jesus Christ, that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. And the jury is each and every one of us right here today, right here in this worship center, in the gym venue, in Liberty Hill. We are on the jury. And God is calling us to make a verdict on the person of Jesus Christ based upon the evidence that He presents as the witness. And we, we can do that. We, we can make decisions based on evidence that's presented to us. We do it all the time. In fact, in verse 9, we are encouraged to recognize that. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. And every one of us knows what it's like to receive the witness of men. Maybe you served on a jury and you know what that's like. Maybe you've read about cases and you have seen and heard about people hearing evidence from witnesses and making decisions based on the witnesses of people and knowing what is evidentially true. Even if you've not served on a jury and not had that specific experience, you make decisions based on the testimonies of people around you every single day about what is true. We all do it. Yesterday, I was on the phone with a friend, and that friend was telling me that uh, he talked to so-and-so, and so-and-so told him that so-and-so called so-and-so and told him about another guy, and he wanted to know if that was true. 
I said, well, from what I understand, so-and-so didn't talk to so-and-so, and I'll call so-and-so and found out who talked to so-and-so so I can figure out what's going on, and we can tell so-and-so what's true. So I called so-and-so. And I said, did you talk to so-and-so? He said, no, I don't even know so-and-so. I talked to so-and-so, and he probably knows so-and-so, because he probably talked to so-and-so. That's why that so-and-so thinks that he talked to so-and-so. I was like, okay, now it makes sense. <laughs> so I called so-and-so back, told him what I heard from so-and-so, which was true because so-and-so told me it was true, and I believed his testimony because it made more sense than anybody else's so-and-so testimony. And when I told so-and-so, he says, well, I'm going to tell so-and-so what is true so he'll know what's true. And I called back so-and-so, and I told him what was true. And so all of us knew what was true because we weighed the evidence. And it was crystal clear. <laughs> we know how to do that. When you have people every day talk to you about stuff that's going on, you know how to weigh the evidence. And the Scripture is telling us here that the witness of God to the person of Jesus Christ is more significant and greater than any witness you've already believed in your life about far less significant things. We're the jurors and we are being presented evidence that demands a verdict. God describes the witnesses, the water, the blood, and the spirit. What does that mean? The water and the blood. You, you will see in this passage how there's an emphasis on the blood. It's Jesus says, come by water and blood, not just water alone, but also by blood. So these concepts of Jesus coming by water and by blood are important concepts and the emphasis put on the blood. Now, this is a way of God presenting a representation of Jesus' earthly ministry. Jesus came by the water. When Jesus was baptized, the Spirit of God came down on Jesus in the form of a dove, and the voice of God rang out saying, This is my Son. Jesus came at the beginning of his earthly ministry and it was inaugurated by the baptism, by water. And then Jesus, the end of his earthly ministry is represented or signaled by his death on the cross where he shed his blood on the cross. And so you see the bookends of Jesus' earthly ministry, the baptism of Jesus and the crucifixion of Jesus. And we are given this picture of Jesus' inauguration into his earthly ministry at his baptism in such a way that we might know that the Holy Spirit comes and rests on Jesus so that everything that Jesus does from the time of his baptism to the time of his crucifixion is display of the work of the Father by way of the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus explains this. He says, he says if you don't really believe what, what I'm saying here before you, if you don't believe that I am who I'm saying, then watch what I'm doing. Pay attention to my works, John chapter 15. Pay attention to what I'm doing here. Because if you don't believe me, believe in the works. Because the works that I'm doing are the works that the Father is enabling me to do. And if you believe in the works, then you believe in what the Father is doing. So set, pay attention to what's happening here in the work of the Holy Spirit through me. This is a testimony of the Spirit 
through my life and my works that the Father is testifying to you that I am the Messiah of the world. So all of Jesus' ministry from start to end through the power of the Holy Spirit is God's declaration in history that Jesus is the Son of God. And so God has declared a witness through the person of Jesus Christ that Jesus Christ is, in fact, who he claims to be. The evidence is clear. We have reliable eyewitnesses that wrote down the accounts. We have Jesus' resurrection from the dead, which verifies in the most dramatic of ways he is who he said he is. We have thousands of years of people who have weighed the evidence of God's witness that Jesus is the Messiah and have believed the evidence presented and it has changed their lives. The evidence is convincing. The evidence demands a verdict. Now the verdict is not just a mental assent. The verdict that God is calling each one of us to as jurors in this greatest trial in all history is a verdict of faith. Will you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God? Will you believe this? And the belief that you're invited into is a belief that, that says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And because He is who He says He is, I am going to yield my life, submit my life to Him as Lord over my life. And for the rest of my life, I'm going to seek to discover who He is and what He says. And I'm going to align my life with Him again and again and again for the rest of my life. I believe him, and so I'm entrusting my life and my eternity to Jesus Christ, and I want every day the rest of my life to be about aligning with him for his glory. Do you believe in him? What, what is the decision that you will make? What is the conclusion that you will draw? How will you respond to the evidence that God has presented to you in history? That Jesus Christ came, lived a perfect life, demonstrated the powerful work of the Spirit by everything he did, put an exclamation point on it by his resurrection from the dead, and has clearly testified that he is the Son of God. What will you do with that evidence? If, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, something absolutely incredible happens when you believe. Look with me again to verse 10 and 11. The one who believes in the Son of God, has the witness in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar, basically called him a liar, because he's not believed in the witness which God has testified concerning his Son. 
And this is the witness that, we, that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. If you believe in Jesus Christ, if your verdict about Jesus agrees with God's witness about Jesus, then you receive the witness in you. Think about that. God has declared an external historical witness through the life and work of Jesus. And that witness is reliable evidence that should put us in a position of affirming the witness of God and believing in Jesus Christ on the basis of God's external witness. When we believe in the witness of God, then God places his witness, the Spirit, in us. So the external witness of God's declaration of the person of Jesus Christ, the moment we believe in Jesus, becomes the internal certitude of the presence of the Holy Spirit abiding in us. Do, do you know what that means? It means that the moment you believe in Jesus Christ because of what God has declared in history as the faithful, true witness of the Son of God being the Messiah, the moment you believe that, all of that witness that is given externally becomes a personal experience of certitude and assurance that Jesus is the Christ. And it comes by way of the Holy Spirit indwelling you through your faith in Jesus Christ. So that Romans 8.16 is more than true and resonating in our hearts. That His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we belong to God. Isn't that fabulous? That when we place our faith in this external truth, God places the internal certitude of his very presence in us to the magnitude that we now know we belong to him. That is assurance. But that's not all. The Holy Spirit, the witness that is true, who abides in us, not only bears witness that we belong to Jesus Christ, but bears witness of who Jesus Christ is and what he said. In John, Jesus is recorded as saying, I'm going to send the Spirit to you. John 15, 14, 15, and 16 is just packed with promises about the Spirit. And in those passages, Jesus says, I'm going to send the Spirit to you, and the Spirit, my Spirit, is going to remind you of what is true, what I have said, and all things that are to come so that you may know exactly who I am and may know how to live in the world in which you live. Jesus Christ sent his Spirit to us, the witness who is true, to illuminate our minds and our hearts again and again to who Jesus is and what Jesus says. So that every time you and I open this scripture, we have the Spirit of God indwelling us, enlightening our minds, illuminating our hearts as to who Jesus is. So that in seeing who he is, our faith might be spurred on so that we experience the life he has given us. The Spirit of God not only illuminates our hearts and minds in the truth, but the Spirit of God, according to John chapter 16, Jesus' own words, he says the Spirit of God convicts you in regard to your sin. 
You have a sense that you belong to God. You have a heightened sense from the Spirit of God where you walk in a contrary way to who Jesus is. You have the Spirit of God who illuminates your mind to who Jesus is and what He says so you know how you should be walking. Well, in all of that happening, you have this conviction of your sin in your life because God does not want you to continue to experience the death of your sin, but instead He wants you to experience the life of His grace and forgiveness. And so he convicts you of your sin by way of the Holy Spirit as you understand more about who Jesus is and what he says. And in that conviction of your sin, you are reminded that Jesus Christ has promised that if you'll simply confess that sin that he convicts in your heart, that he will forgive you of that sin. And under his advocacy, he will lead you towards leaving more and more of that sin behind over the course of your life so that you might experience more and more of the life he gave you. Do you know what those patterns of confession and repentance and realigning your life with God again and again over the course of your life, ter- life is? That's this glimpse into eternal life when we once and for all leave sin behind and all we know is living for the glory of God. God has given us the witness so we might know him. And we get to experience in receiving Christ eternal life. Our life is never the same. We're brand new. We have a new life in Christ. We are totally changed forever. And the moment we trust Christ, he sends his spirit so we might begin to taste that new life every single day, the rest of our lives, in anticipation of the hope of eternity when he will once and for all give us new life and we'll never look back. Isn't that beautiful? It just makes me so grateful that I've received a jury notice. Right? I mean, you you feel the implication of that, don't you? You feel the implication of receiving the jury notice, the greatest trial in all of history, and having made a decision about the witness of God related to the person of Christ. And you have personally experienced that your decision about the person of Christ did not affect who Christ is. Like whether you decided that Jesus Christ is the Son of God or not does not change that he's the Son of God. This is the witness of God and it is true. Whether I believe it or not does not change Jesus Christ, but whether I believe it does in fact change And you all who have placed your faith in Jesus Christ as jurors in the greatest trial in all of history have experienced the effect of making a decision about Jesus. A decision that did not affect Jesus but did in fact affect you because this scripture says he who has the Son has life. And he who does not have the Son does not have life. You have experienced life. In experiencing life and the effects of making that decision, knowing that you are serving on the greatest jury trial in all of history, you know the implication of what that means for when you live and where you live. I don't know if you're like me when you get the jury notice, but I suspect based on your reaction to me, 
that most everybody isn't real excited about getting a jury notice. And probably most everybody is grateful when they get excused from serving on the jury. And if, if, you know, for most of us that feel that way, I mean, we're willing to do our civic duty, but when civic duty doesn't call, we're pretty happy about that. And when that happens to us, it's, it's you know, when we get that notice, it's kind of encouraging to know that only a very small percentage of people are actually going to be chosen. In the greatest trial in all of history, the trial of Jesus Christ, Everyone is on the jury. Everyone has been selected. And no one is getting out of it. People can act like it's not happening. But the truth is that God has placed all of us on the jury. And he's presented evidence that demands a verdict. And when you've made the decision about Jesus, you have every opportunity in deliberation to encourage your fellow jurors to see the evidence of God. That's our life. We're living in one big deliberation room with all the other jurors around us many of whom don't even know they're serving on a jury. And we have the opportunity to bear witness of the witness so that people around us can hear about Jesus Christ and the truth we've believed. I love that concept because it really relieves me from a lot of pressure because I'm no longer the witness Like, I'm not the primary witness for Jesus Christ, who he is, what he said. The primary witness is God. And all I'm doing is bearing witness to the witness. And I'm doing that by way of the fact that the Holy Spirit has indwelt me. And I'm living the experience of eternal life. And I can personally convey my story of life change through the presence of Jesus Christ that only occurred at the moment I believed the external witness. So I can tell other people who are only hearing the external witness of the internal experience of having believed in Jesus. And I'm simply pointing them to the real witness. See, no longer am I in a position of having to convince someone to believe because I'm not the witness. I am a fellow juror who has already come to faith in what is true and have reaped the benefits of that experience. And so all I'm doing is coming alongside another juror and saying, hey, I want to tell you more about the witness and how significant it is when you believe what he has said. And how what believing has done in my life, would you consider what God has said? So I'm just helping someone see the witness. The convincing is under the responsibility and the burden of the witness. And I'm just bearing witness to the witness. It's a wonderful way to spend our lives. Just bearing witness to the work of the witness in the person of Christ and in us, so that others might see and believe. 
So the next time you're in conversation with someone about Jesus Christ, and they respond by saying something like this, I'm not really into church. I'm not really into that thing because I have a a family member who 10 years ago was really hurt by somebody in church, and so we don't do that. Or I was hurt years ago by something that happened in the church when somebody backstabbed me, and we don't do that. Or the church is just full of hypocrites, and I don't like going there. I don't think this is true about God or Jesus Christ, and I know it because people have said this or done this, and I've seen the failure of this in people's lives. Have you heard those kinds of things before? Listen, don't ever forget that we are not defending the jurors. We are simply presenting the witness. And it's a beautiful thing that in the brokenness of the jurors, that the truth about Jesus can change our lives. But ultimately, we are never pointing people to other jurors. We are always pointing people to Jesus Christ. He is salvation. And he changes our lives. I read something not long ago where a person who was not interested in coming to the church made a comment. They said, it seems like to me that church these days that are like rock bands and coffee shops are not much different from churches with pipe organs and potlucks. I have no interest in those places because it seems to me that Jesus has left the building. You know one of the greatest things that a church family can decide to do is to drop all the issues that we sometimes get sidetracked by related to other jurors and become so consumed with the witness of God and the person of Jesus Christ that Jesus Christ is the only thing that stands out in this building. That's what I love about us. I feel like we're headed in that direction. I feel like God's working in our midst and that Jesus Christ is becoming more evident than any of the stuff that we might have going on as jurors. In fact, the stuff we have going on as jurors is stuff that Jesus Christ is working on. And we're really glad to tell others about it. God has presented the evidence. The evidence demands a verdict. And the verdict demands a witness. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life.